Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. As you know, this podcast is a sister project to the ChristianMusicArchive.com, where I've been documenting the artists and albums that we've been listening to for more than five decades. One of the things that has fascinated me is the number of artists who have moved to full-time ministry as a follow-up to their professional music career. One such musician is Michael James Murphy. Now, Michael recorded about five albums in the early 80s, and then he transitioned to more of a country sound in the 90s, where he released another three albums as Michael James. But an early call God placed on his life was to be involved in worship ministry. I was fascinated to hear Michael talk about the path of preparation God took him through as he transitioned from performing musician to positions as a worship leader and an administrative pastor. Michael talks about the divine appointments that God used during his early interest in music that all led to his current work at a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. Our conversation starts as Michael talks about how his love for music got started. Well, um, 1964, the Beatles came to America, and my life was ever, forever changed. I was uh, five years old, uh, kindergartner, and uh, you know, music captured me, and and uh, began to you know took piano lessons. Started at like third grade. We had a piano, and I realized very early I could sit down and just by ear start playing things. And oh wow, my uh, you know my parents recognized that. My mother was uh, a great singer, and Actually, when she was in high school, she had a um, um, like a. I think there were four or five of them of the girls, and they had they did a little single, and um, you know, so she had always been a singer, and I've been around music, you know, so much, and uh, started taking it in a piano at third grade, and then uh, uh, crazy enough, when I was a sixth grader, I asked for a drum kit for Christmas, <laughs> and I got a drum kit, and uh, in those days, you know, the church. Uh, Sixth grade meant I was now in the youth ministry, and right. which which youth ministry back in the seventies was uh, all about doing musicals. And so our church did all kinds of musicals, and we would do these choir tours, you know, in the summer. Yeah, uh, and uh, even in our little small town in Texas, I you know I grew up in a, a farming and ranching community uh, in the Panhandle of Texas, and okay. uh, we had you know in our little town uh, we had over 50, 60 kids in our, in our youth ministry, which is really oh, wow. amazing. Yeah. So, uh, I started playing drums and, uh, played drums in sixth grade and fell in love with a guitar. And my dad, uh, uh, got me a guitar from, uh, an insurance guy. I guess someone had had their guitar stolen. It was reclaimed. And, uh, I think he said he paid 15 or 20 bucks for it. It was a, a harmony guitar and fell in love with a guitar that kind of came, you know, that in keyboards, both were kind of, you know, that. And so I, played in our high school, our junior high and high school youth ministry there at our church, and then also had a band in high school that we would play for civic functions and play at the school and, you know, do all the seventies, all the seventies music of the day, you know, James Taylor and the Eagles and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Love Chicago and all those guys. So uh, my senior year in high school, um, our church uh, would do an annual ski trip, uh, and, and like our whole town would literally, they had a sp- rather than spring break, we had a ski break, and so everybody would go to the mountains and go skiing. Okay, and right. we put we uh, we 
our church schedule where my dad was a pastor scheduled the cruise family who were quite yeah. huge at the time. Uh, I mean, I think they'd been nominated for Grammys or maybe won to Grammys and, um, you know, they were on the Grand Ole Opry. They were like in some of yeah. the really early pioneers. And so they were there. They came in, and this was in Red River, New Mexico, and they came in to do concert one night during the week. And I was asked to sing some of my songs that, that I've been kind of writing. Oh, and fun. So I got up and did three or four songs as an opening and connected with their son, uh, their youngest son, John. Right. Uh, John is now pastoring down in uh, with Gateway Church down in Fort Worth and married to okay. Janice Archer. Right. Um, and uh, they wanted to know what I was planning after high school. And uh, so, well, I uh, was going to go to college uh, and study music uh, down in Hardin Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. And so they offered me a job playing drums. And so the, literally the day after my uh, high school graduation, I got on my very first plane flight that I'd ever been on. Oh, wow. And a Braniff Airlines, which was, was alive <laughs> and well there, flew out of Lubbock, Texas, and... Uh, and, and hopped on a tour bus with my guitar and my amplifier and no uh, began traveling through that whole summer before going off to going off to college. But it was that relationship with them that God used in a real powerful way because I, I got to meet some uh, some of the executives in the, in the record industry. And so uh, my college roommate, Bobby Price, and I, we kind of met and come to find out, you know, Bobby was like writing poetry and trying to write songs. And so we ended up starting writing songs together and a, and a college youth ministry in Abilene, Texas uh, bought us a ticket, each of us a t round trip ticket to Nashville oh, to fun. go pitch our songs. So we landed in Nashville, took a cab down to Music Row. And I went to the place that I knew uh, had some relationship with because of the Cruz family and right. uh, resulted in uh, getting our first song published. And then I ended up getting a publishing and a recording agreement um, with Zonderman. Uh, I actually sold a, my car. Uh, my wife, Laura, and I met in college as well. We were married in 1980. And that year, uh, she had a car. So I sold my uh, my Ford Pinto, you know, got enough money to do a demo okay. and uh, did that in Oklahoma City uh, at, at a place, a guy named Ken Sarkey, who was a part of uh, Cornerstone Recording, which was a part of a lot of major Christian music coming out okay. of there at the time. Um, uh, a group called Seth, which had Kelly yep. Willard and uh, Hadley Hawkinsmith was the guitar player. And, and Hadley's playing probably influenced me as a guitar player more than anyone. Uh, yeah. And so, so many other um, musicians and that were part of Andre Crouch's band. And yep. it was just a lot of that. So I went there with my and, and recorded two songs and I ended up getting signed to Zonderman. And that year I was signed along with Twyla Paris and Wayne Watson and Harvest I'm trying to think of who else was would have been a part of that crew of us that got signed. We were all signed within six months. Oh wow! Uh, to Zonderman's Milk and Honey Records, and so because they were just kind of establishing the label at that time, right? They were, and they yeah. really had been church music, like choral, and you know, and so uh, a guy named Phil Brower, who um, had written a lot of uh, you know popular church musicals in the day, I think just had a vision to see be a part of contemporary music and to take mm -hmm. Zonderman there, and right. they did. So I recorded three albums for them. Uh, Twyla Paris and I toured together for a couple of years together where um, we kind of, you know, I, I did my set and she would do her set, but I also kind of was the, led the band because I okay. was doing a lot of recording sessions. And at that point it moved to Tulsa um, when I got signed because Twyla lived uh, about an hour from Tulsa in Arkansas because gotcha. her father was part of Youth of the Mission, helping right. launch that with her uncle, uh, 
And uh, a lot of the musicians, a lot of things were happening in Tulsa as well. Carmen was just getting discovered there. And there were about four recording studios between there and then also over in Oklahoma City. And so I did a lot of commercials and um, played on a lot of custom uh, albums. Gotcha. Uh, play guitar. Gotcha. And so kind of got that thing and toured with those guys in, uh, in 84. I think it was the last year Twilight and I toured together. And then 86, I did it one album with, uh, with Home Sweet Home with Chris Christian. Right. And, uh, and then moved to Nashville, on to Nashville from, uh, you know, we'd been in Tulsa. We came back to Texas where we were from, my wife and I, and then we went on to Nashville in the late eighties. And, and uh, is that when you changed your sound to focus more country? Yeah. And yeah. kind of got back to, you know, I think in the early days, I, as a musician, I was into so many styles that I was into. Sure. Like this, the second album was Surrender and that album had, some world-class musicians, like all, all the background vocalists were the, or the, were the, uh, the folks that sang on all the Steely Dan records. And, oh, um, wow. John Patitucci played bass on that, on my first two albums. And John is considered one of the top bass players in yeah, the world now. Absolutely. And, um, Keith Edwards was on drums and, and, and Hadley Hawkins Smith played, you know, electric, um, David Mansfield also played on that, mm-hmm. on that record. And David, Dave was in, uh, um, he was uh, Bruce Hornsby in the range. And, and uh, let's see, before that, I'm trying to think, oh my gosh, he's, he just, the, the list of people there were incredible. And then a guy named Smitty Price was playing keys. And I ended yep. up working with Smitty later on with the promise keepers. And the, uh, the, he, he was a part of all of those with the Maranatha praise band. And okay. Um, so it's just so many relationships through, through that time. And John Schreiner, John Andrew Schreiner, who's yep. produced a lot of stuff and, Ended up playing with, uh, we toured together some when, with Twyla. He played keys and then went on to play with Donna Summer. And, so now uh, this was all based out of that Oklahoma area? All this was happening there? Well, the 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 getting signed was, but when I, I went to L.A. to record the second album gotcha. for, okay. for, re, for um, Zondervan, for Milk and yeah. Honey. And Jonathan David Brown produced uh, that record. Yep. And, and that year he had done... Oh my gosh. Well, Twyla, he was doing Twyla's albums and so many big records. It produced the Kelly Willard records that I love so much in the early days. And a lot of the Maranatha yeah. praise music in the early days, Jonathan, um, you know, was a part of that, you know, and he, he, he passed everybody. Away. Yeah. He worked he with did, Kurt, you know, Scott Wesley yeah. Brown, Bob Bennett, all of those guys. Yeah. Petra, yeah. And that big yeah. Bob Bennett record was that, that year that he did recorded mine. He, he cut Twyla Paris's, I think it was, uh, it might have been the Warriors of Child record or Keeping My Eyes on You is what it was. It was Keeping My Eyes on You record and my record, Surrender. Bob Bennett's record that w- was the album of the year. Um, and all those guys were, were playing on it. So it was kind of a – I was just really lucky to be around a bunch of incredible musicians. But I think stylistically a lot of that influenced me because the kinds of – I love so many styles of music. Right. Yeah. But the, but the truth was is when I was younger, what I did best were – things like the Eagles and James Taylor and the sound that really had begun to form a lot of, you know, nineties country. Uh, even when Garth Brooks, uh, I remember when Garth came to town there and he got signed and I actually met him and we okay. talked for a second and, you know, James Taylor was a huge influence for him as well. So I think what, what we call country today was definitely more pop music when we were in the seventies, you know, as teenagers yeah, growing up. That. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And so I began uh, to write and, uh, you know, I had a song recorded by Lee Greenwood and a band called Highway 101 that um, mm-hmm. I had a song on that album and started doing some things like that. And then met Gary Chapman, uh, right. 
And uh, Gary had a, a, a production company and publishing company and uh, who had a, just a bunch of great people around and then introduced me to the guys at Reunion Records, Mike Blanton and Dan Harrell was a part right. of that, who were managing Amy and um, just uh, incredible team of people there happening. And so they uh, they were very interested in me and signed, signed me and uh, they were partnering with RCA Records. I think maybe even BMG ended up purchasing right. if i recall I and so yeah. my, my stuff was being co-marketed if you will to the to the country marketplace as well and that's yeah. when we dropped murphy off the name just because of michael martin murphy there was a lot of confusion right yeah yeah and, and they, they would think was that you i'm like well no i, I was like a freshman <laughs> in high school i think when uh, wildfire came out you know but <laughs> yeah uh, but anyway that's how i ended up kind of getting more to that that acoustic sound and and again my college roommate bobby price and i had been writing 90% of the things I was recording, it was what the two of us were writing together. And so, um, and that's where, so, where this, that happened. Yeah. So you wrote together pretty much all through your, your recording career then? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Continue to, to do that. And so we were, in fact, in college, before I got signed, uh, we would travel and do after game fellowships for churches. We did, mm. you know, mm -hmm. youth retreats and, concerts and churches. And a lot of times Bobby would preach and I would sing and lead worship or so worship was always a critical part of what I was doing. In fact, living right. in Nashville, we were, uh, we were a part of two great churches there, there, Bel Belmont church and then new song Christian yep. fellowship that was launched okay. later. And I led worship at both of those places, um, uh, and played in the worship band. And so at Belmont, it was really great because Amy Grant was there leading and Michael W. Smith, uh, Paul mm -hmm. Overstreet and so many, uh, other great people. Um, and I would, I would lead worship, you know, regularly there and be a part of the band and everything. And so, uh, it was just a really amazing community. And we were part of helping, um, plant and launch, uh, what became new song Christian fellowship there that uh, Jack Hayford had kind of been behind. Yeah. And Dale Everest was, came from California to Nashville and, and planted there out in Franklin. And we were, we were part of that, their first building and, and there got to, lead worship and play in the band. Like, and my small group that I was in was Michael Mardian was oh. the small group leader. Um, Too bad he never made anything of his yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like he produced like top pop hit hits and like four. Oh decades. yeah. Chester Thompson, who played drums with Phil Collins and Genesis and weather report and was in the group. Donna Summers, husband Donna, yep. was, uh, he was in that and, and Billy Gaines, uh, Billy passed away a few years ago right, as well, but, yeah. but Billy was in that. So we had a great small group. Wow. And those guys were all kind of, well, Billy and I were close to the same age, but, uh, I was a younger guy and they were, they were older guys, but God really used them profoundly in our life. Um, and they're, they're really kind of a part of my story of, yeah, we were, uh, had, had a lot of success there at reunion and, you know, four Dove award wins and, yep. and all of that stuff happened. And, uh, in 2000 and, um, let me get my dates figuring it, remembering here, uh, <laughs> let's see. No, I'm sorry. In 1996. Yeah. I had done the last record there with reunion and, um, I was, started having vocal problems and mm. didn't know what was going on. And, uh, actually Bruce Carroll and I were doing a, a series of, dates where it was kind of an unplug thing and we okay. he would play play you know play for my songs i'd play with his songs really great and i'll never forget we were in paducah kentucky and i literally just couldn't sing anymore and i didn't know what was going on freaked me mm. out so uh 
Amy Grant actually got me an appointment with uh, Dr. Ossoff, which is at the Vanderbilt Voice Center at Vanderbilt University, okay. who's operated on many uh, major vocalists in the world uh, on their on their voices. And they found right. um, a, a large blood blister, a polyp on my vocal oh, cord. Wow. So I had to have surgery. That was January of 96. And they went and found it was just a benign, it was an injury, they think, probably when I was playing football in high okay. school or I did intramural stuff in college as well. But, um, and, and we needed to remove that. And so I had to cancel. That was January. He says, I need you to cancel all your, all your dates until like April. And so uh, I, was, I, I was kind of freaking out about that and actually was in, a, in negotiations with Sony at that point to do a, a mainstream record, a mainstream country record with Michael Marty and producing oh, wow. uh, Reba McIntyre's team were, were managing me at the time. And so uh, it, it all seemed to be kind of moving that way. Cause I had been a part of the big promise keeper events as a guest mm -hmm. artist right? and really felt like God was opening doors for me, uh, just administering to men and to the family. Um, and uh, the country music marketplace was opening up in such a way because of, uh, Paul Overstreet and Ricky Skaggs at the time sure. were pretty bold in their faith. And uh, so guys, you know, like especially Bruce Carroll and I were, were kind of in the middle of a lot of that. Yeah. But um, so how did this, so this is kind of a put the brakes on everything. And oh, were, were you, were you feeling like, Oh my gosh, my career is over. Or were you feeling yeah. like this was, a, was God, did you see God's direction changing your path at that point? Or was this kind of like, Oh my gosh, I just hit a wall. Well, I, I, I want to go back just a second to say my senior year in high school, after being offered that position with the Cruz family, right. I felt, felt God's call to the ministry. And so I surrendered to the ministry uh, and my church licensed me and all of that, okay. prayed over me, the elders and all of that. And so there was an initial calling deep in my heart. And I just knew for, this, for the season I was in that it was going to be primarily singing in churches around and, and, and singing to Christians. Right. encouraging the body of Christ wherever God would take me to do that. Uh, when this, when this uh, surgery thing hit, I, I called the, you know, I called Michael Martin and the guys and, and they got together and they said, Hey, we, we really believe God is literally shutting you up hmm. to, sp to speak to your heart. Uh, and, and now also in the same time, my wife and I, we, we had, we had a daughter at the time and that's a whole other story of uh, we, we weren't, uh, my wife had a pituitary adenoma that was preventing us from having any children, but mm. uh, through experimental drug protocol, uh, she ended up getting pregnant. We had Brittany uh, oh, wow. in eighty in eighty two, nineteen eighty two. So this was again, yeah. this was this was ninety six. But yeah. we had been praying for more kids, and and our small group, our couple small group that we had, were always surrounding some prayer with that. And um, through um, a concert, a benefit concert in Wichita, Kansas. Um, to help raise funds for the pregnancy crisis center, we okay. were connected and were able to be in process to adopt. Oh. And, uh, and, uh, so our son Calvin, who's about to turn 24, um, was on the way. And so okay. I also had that on me. Like I've got a new, we've got a new child we're adopting. I've been on the road a lot. Um, and my wife and I were both were getting a pretty tired of the traveling and the touring. Once I got there, it was great, but the whole process in between was yeah. difficult. So yeah. that was on top. All at the same time, we had this, this, this child that was on the way and that was going to change our lives. Yeah. And so my, my small group guys just said, Hey man, we think God's trying to really speak to you and he has shut you up. And so we want you to 
really be be listening. And I remember Dale Everest, our, our pastor there at New Song, had was in, had been in a series called Crossing Over, and kind of ca- talking about crossing over uh, the red, you know, the crossing over the river into that new promised land. Oh, right. And okay. uh, and, and that God may be calling some of you to a new a new day and that really began to stick deeply within me. And so So how did you receive all of this? I mean, this is a lot of stuff being pushed on a very successful thing that has a potential of, Oh God, we're going to do so much more for you when we take this mainstream. And how, how did that affect your emotionally and spiritually? And that's a huge transition. Well, it was a frightening time. It was exciting because, you know, the, the, the thing was, well, hey, we'll, we'll get you out opening for Reba. And at that time, Reba was, you know, huge and playing arenas and everything. And that's how they kind of did it in country music. It was like a, they call it a third act and you would kind of get 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. so there was all these plans that we had, but it was scary to me. And I, and I will tell you that some of the guys in my small group basically said, we know you're you know, financially was my biggest concern because my main sure. oh, my, yeah. playing live was basically how you fed your family. And those guys literally took care of us for four, four months. Wow. And while, and it was kind of part of it, we'll, we're going to help take care of you. Just want you to hear God, uh, get your surgery done and go through your recovery with that. And um, so I couldn't speak after the surgery. Everything was great with the surgery, but I wasn't able to speak. They won't let you okay. talk for like, I think it's three or four weeks. And, and right as I began to, where I could start talking, went through the rehab there at Vanderbilt. Uh, I got a call from a church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I had done concerts before. But uh, some of the men on their uh, on their board, their elder board there, had uh, seen me sing at Texas Stadium or at the Astrodome at one of the okay. big Promise Keeper events. And the pastor, an executive pastor there, called and said, "Hey, um, well, the executive pastor called me. He said, hey, man, we, I just want to share with you what God's doing here, and we really feel like God wants us to open up and to really reach our culture here for for Christ, and we want to use." worship and arts. And at that point, churches were just kind of moving into the contemporary, more contemporary um, experiential kinds of services that were very different and, you know, from the kind of structured pathways that some of the, this, this had been a Southern Baptist church. And I said, well, great. Um, You know, I felt in my heart, I'm like, I don't know, man, this is a exciting vision. I I, I called my wife and said, I just got a call from these guys. I talked to for an hour and I I feel like this may be something that I actually could hang I, I could hang my hat on that and, and, and get behind a vision like that. Sure. And they want to come out and talk to us. So they, they flew out to Nashville and, and we went to dinner and, and I basically tried to convince them like, Hey man, I, you know, I, I'm not really a fan of church music guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, at the time how it was, I'm like, I'm not your choir director. Uh, let's do a cantata, you know, Easter cantata or let's do the Christmas musical, you know, but if you really want to reach people, using the arts and, and you want to build a heart of worship into the, into the church. And you know, I'll be all about that. So they uh, asked me to come out and lead worship. My, my first date back, and it was interesting. I say, well, my first concert back is in April and okay. I'm playing in Albuquerque of all places at university of New Mexico with rich Mullins. Uh-huh. Cause rich, rich and I were label mates there at reunion. Right. And so uh, we did that, played it, played there with Rich on Friday night at the at the university, and then Saturday and Sunday was at the church. And Henry Blackaby was a guest speaker at the church there. It was Hoffmantown Church there in Albuquerque. And uh, we met with their elders and, and their team there, and this really felt like God's call was on that. So uh. we shocked all of our friends in Nashville, and 
and, um, you know, kind of packed up and started a new journey. It was a life gate for me. And I kind of closed the door on the music industry, but really felt like God was in that. So how long did that process take? I mean, you had the surgery and you recovered until about April. Yep. I sang there in April and accepted that position like in May, but didn't go there till August because I had, uh, I had concerts through that I needed obligations to do that. And we got, you know, had to take care of getting their home sold in Nashville and all that kind of stuff, you know. So did you feel like this was an extension of that call that you'd received as a young person? Uh, Totally, totally, totally. And I I don't think I realized until I got there and got in the position and began to build. And, uh, and that's kind of what really at my heart, I'm a builder and, Mm -hmm. uh, and to try to kind of build things from the scratch, from the ground up there to launch, um, um, you know, what in four years, the church doubled in size. Mm, uh, wow. after we, we, after we launched these two, we, we launched a Saturday night service and then a, uh, Sunday 11 service. So the church went from like, you know, two, uh, two, it was like 2000 to 4,500 in four okay. years growth. Wow. Wonderful. And, uh, it was a lot of, a lot of great things. So, but I, I wasn't prepared to realize that, you know, God's, the beautiful thing about God's writing our story is how sometimes we're in the middle of it all. And we don't even realize until later that we look back at how strategic, uh, right. You know, the people that I got to work with, uh, the studios, the, um, the, the artists that I got to be around and have friendships with and play with it. It, I got the best education while I studied music and communication in college. This was a whole other level of, of education and I had a passion to see the church, especially in the area of, of worship and music and how it was executed and how it was created and poured into the hearts of the volunteers that were part of that, mm-hmm. uh, to, to take the same bar, the level of excellence and, and how we do things in studios and in Nashville, and to take that and to implement that in the church. And, uh, you know, things like click tracks that I in, in, introduced a click track back in the day. When now that's the whole, you know, the whole church world is clicks and mm. support tracks, stem tracks yeah. and everything else. And, and, and at that time, that just really wasn't very common at all. And uh, so it was, uh, I don't know, I, I, I was grateful. Uh, our son Calvin was born. You know, we were new in ministry, a lot of change. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and by the way, a year and a half later, we were able to adopt another uh, a child as a daughter. And uh, that's Brooke, our youngest. And she's a. Uh, she just turned 22. Wow. So a uh, uh, pretty cool part of our story of, of God using m- my gift of music right. to go and sing at a pregnancy center and to help help them raise money and to kind of pour into them. And then God blesses us with two amazing miracles yeah. Yeah. through that, which is super cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the you know, you're talking about your passion for worship. And, and did that start developing after you accepted that position in Arizona? Or was that something that you saw kind of growing through no. your concert ministry and, and, and singing in churches? Yeah, it, it, it was always interesting. I, do, I would always do a worship set in my concerts. And, and, and over and over, I would have pastors or people go, you know, man, we love your records and we love the songs. But, you know, man, the worship part tonight was just you know, so powerful. And so I, I never forget, there was a pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee, who um, Chris Knight was his, is his name. And Chris said over me, and it's amazing how we remember these little things, but uh, playing at a concert there, he got up and prayed for me and just said, you have, uh, he told me personally, he says, you have the gift of the psalmist. Ah. And I will never forget that. And so for 
you know, for many of those years through this church journey, I've, I've, that's been a part of me. And I, and I've got a, a, a verse, I actually just got my first tattoo at, at 61 years old, which is awesome. Right. <laughs> but it says it's on my wrist and it says Psalm 43, 40 okay. verse three. Right. And so if you read Psalm 140 uh, verses one through three, it talks about, you know, I cried out to the Lord. He inclined to me. You heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the miry pit. You set my feet upon a rock. You established my footsteps. And then verse three goes on and says, and he put a, a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise mm-hmm. to our God. And as a result, many will be amazed and fear and come to know the Lord. Yes. So that became my my ministry verse that I was trying to live out was that authentic worship, the, the new song of our rescue out right. of that pit is powerful and that God will use that. that people will be amazed and come to know Christ. And so through that, I think God really put in my heart a real heart of evangelism uh, and the worship evangelism thing, you know, uh, yeah, it's been critical for that for me. So that was planted by, again, a, a, a relationship or a, a yeah. interaction you had with somebody in a concert setting, kind of out of left field, so to speak. Yeah. And that's planted that seed to say, hmm, maybe there's something else that God's got for me. Yeah. And I heard that over and over from people and from, from you know, different you know, pastors and, uh-huh. and always was a part of volunteering and leading, you know, in Nashville, those, in those days, they didn't need to pay for a worship pastor because <laughs> right. they were, they were everywhere. So you just needed someone to organize and schedule us. And yeah, but, but being around that and being around some of the incredible, uh, there were musicians I was around a guy named Don Potter, uh, Don you know, played, played all the judge records and produced and arranged a lot of that. And Don played on, I, I, he mentored me as acoustic player. Uh, wow. Don was an incredible godly man, but just having people like that speak speak into my life. It, it's funny, and I thought it was all about the journey as an artist and a songwriter, but um, you know, the truth was that God had very specific uh, you know ideas as to what yeah. path He wanted me to be on. Well, I'm interested. You know, as we talked gearing up to this, we talked about one of my passions about this podcast is to share about community and how community is important. And the story that specifically stuck in my mind was the transition that you were making between, um, you know, being a music traveling musician and maybe having something that God's calling you to, and that you didn't, it sounds to me like you maybe weren't recognizing that in yourself, but you had this group of people, this community that was saying, Hmm, maybe you should look at this. Yeah, totally. And I, and I think that that's, so critical for any, uh, even today, any of the, the artists that are traveling, um, or, or if, if you're a salesman, if you're away from home a lot, or if you're an executive who's traveling the world, which I've ministered to a lot of those guys in churches right. I've served at, you've got to have that community base. That, that's the important part of the church that God intended. And, uh, and that's been the struggle with this pandemic that we've been in is just not being able to be together and to have community. Now, beautifully enough, the technology's helped accomplish a lot of that, but right. you're totally right. And, and, and I think the things from Michael Martian that I learned, the things from, you know, uh, Hadley Hawkinsmith, young, you know, I, my first concert I ever saw was Andre Crouch and uh, oh, wow. in Am- Amarillo, Texas. And I was think I was an eighth grader. That and, sets the bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Hadley's playing guitar, you know, he's playing guitar and I'm just you know, in this, in this album that we had this, uh, you know, traveling, um, evangelist who was playing this 
this music before a service. And I'm like, what is that? And he goes, it's yeah. a band called Seth. And Seth was out of Oklahoma city mm-hmm. and it's a rare little find. If anyone can find it out there, but you know, Jonathan David Brown produced it. He was in that band along with Kelly Willard, Hadley Hawkinsmith, uh, a bunch of those. There's a whole group of those guys that ended up, some of them played for Andre uh, and went on to be, you know, great. I mean, Hadley's been with, Neil Diamond now for gosh, yeah, I guess since for a long time since the early nineties, probably or late eighties, I guess. But um, yeah, so each of those people in a special way impacted me. You know, in nineteen eighty six, for a year and a half, I I toured with Dallas Home, mm-hmm. and uh, I did the similar thing that I did with Twilight. I I got a forty minute set in front of Dallas, and then I helped lead the band and played keys and guitars with him. And Dallas. Um, pastored me in many ways and taught me the heart of ministry. And I, that was always at the forefront for me. It was like mostly about the ministry. And I had excellent, I wanted excellence in music as a musician, but that, that, that truly being in ministry. And I've got friends in Nashville that said, you know, man, when you left, it really made a spoke highly that, Oh wait, this guy really, he really did really was trying to be in ministry. Right. Uh, That was kind of cool to hear many years later. Um, uh, multiple people sharing that with me. So, yeah. and there's a lot of guys that are out there like that, that have, like you said, that have done the same thing that have, that are now pastoring. And uh, it's just cool to see. Well, kind of one of the things I heard you say is that uh, your community evolves. And I think a lot of times we think, well, I have my community around me, but they're not speaking into where I'm at right now. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have another community there for you. And that community doesn't mean once it's set, you forget it. Right, so you've oh, totally. had you've had these opportunities with different artists that you've worked with, the different places that you've been in, and God has always put you in a place where you've got community to be uh, yes. surrounding you. But what does it take for you to to find those new communities? Did they just come to you, or did you seek them out? Oh man, I, I feel like they were kind of divine appointments. Um, you know, like for instance, meeting, getting a. I, I had met Gary Chapman uh, down in Texas earlier years earlier because a friend of mine, Jerry McPherson was playing guitar for Amy and uh, Amy Grant and Jerry was from Houston. And I had met, Mm -hmm. you know, Jerry early on in the early eighties. And, uh, and so we're, we're in Nashville and um, uh, some friends of ours that I had produced uh, her record back in Tulsa, we had kind of lost touch with one another and they had moved to Nashville and we didn't know they had moved to Nashville and we had moved recently and, uh, we we were attending a small church when we first got to town, and she was at the post office uh, sending something some music off. And he's like, "Oh, you're in music," and and this person was Leslie Glassford, and she she okay. I produced a couple of records on her, and then she was in a, a group called Tuesday's Child okay, uh, that great. had a couple of, a couple of albums on Benson back back in the nineties. He goes, "Well, we we just had a guy and, and his family uh, and his wife and little girl just started coming to our church and." said who it was. And she goes, Oh my gosh, we're best friends. We just lost oh, touch fine. with one. Another. So we get connected. We'll come to find out Jimmy, a uh, Jimmy, right. a bag or Jimmy, a lived next door in the apartment complex there in, in, in Bellevue in Nashville. And we get connected, uh, meet Jimmy. And uh, of course, Jimmy was working with rich uh, Mullins right. at the time, part of the ragamuffins. And Jimmy hears some of my songs. He's like, Hey man, you know, and they were, these are some of the country things I was writing, but this, these were songs like slow down daddy that, and that's what her brother is for that, mm-hmm. you know, we're off that first record with reunion. And he goes, Gary Chapman's got this, uh, he's got a killer studio. Uh, it's in the same building as the reunion records building. And 
He's got a production production company and publishing companies put together. He goes, man, he would love what you're doing. So he gave me Gary's number. And the next day I called Gary and he's like, he answered and like, yeah, man, let's get together. Right. And, uh, and then I ended up signing with him uh, a production and publishing deal that, you know, ended up, he was, a, I think he was a part owner in Reunion Records. He and Amy were at that time. Okay. And so that's how, you know, again, I got connected to Reunion, but that was all because of friendships that I had in Tulsa who had relocated back to Nashville and ended up meeting, you know, Jimmy A and right. uh, Jimmy making that connection. So it was all this, you know, amazing, uh, you know, I don't know if it was anything that I ever did. It was just kind of being in the right place at the right time and kind of God may have intervened. Well, and, and relying on the fact that God does have the people that you need to surround yeah. you with. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I like to hear is I like to hear people's testimony about how they came mm-hmm. to the Lord. And mm. you mentioned you're, yeah. uh, you and I are both preacher's kids, uh, but for me, it didn't really become real. My relationship with God didn't really become real until I was in college. It was yeah. what I was trained to do. So how did you come to where your personal faith in Jesus was your own yeah. and it was the part that changed your Yes. Well, I there's kind of two pivotal moments when I came to Christ as a, as a young boy, but also and I want to I want to talk about um uh, a time in in 1984 when I was on tour with Twyla and a, a situation that occurred that God really brought um the meaning of worship to a place in my heart and life that I really grew to understand. So being a pastor's son obviously a godly family um grandparents, great grandparents, uh, rich family, you know, history and rich family legacy from a spiritual standpoint, which I just feel blessed for. Uh, but we had a missionary come to our church and shared, you know, I was, I was a nine year old young boy and, uh, and I just became very convicted and, and actually had watched Billy Graham on television. I was feeling the tug of the Holy spirit even then before that. But, um, you know, I told my parents, I, I, you know, I realized that I'm a pastor's son and I'm at church everywhere. And I think even at nine, I think I know what this, this whole faith journey is about, but, right. but I'm realizing that I've never received the gift of salvation and never uh-huh. professed, you know, to make him Lord and savior of my life. And so <clears throat> they walked with me through that, prayed with me and then had my dad, you know, he baptized me, which, uh-huh. uh, which is super special. Yeah. And, uh, and he baptized uh, all of my kids too, by the way, which is a very cool. cool thing before his passing. But uh, yeah, yeah. So there was that, and and growing in that, and then you know feeling the call to ministry at 18 years old, and then going, you know, touring with the Cruz family, and then I went to Hardin Simmons University and met my lifelong co-writing partner, but also you know like my, he's not my blood brother, but he's everything right. but that, you know. Uh, and he and his wife uh, are dear, dear friends. And through all these years in 84, while we were touring with Twyla, um, we had, again, we had Brittany uh, at 82 mm-hmm. in 1982, which was a miracle mm-hmm. uh, because of a, this pituitary adenoma that my wife had um, right. the university of Texas medical center. We were, she was in a drug protocol with them and that's how Brittany came along. And we've been praying for more children, obviously. And then, in 84, she was pregnant again, and we went through some real difficulty in, 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 with an individual who was in part of my ministry okay. uh, at the time. And some just really awful things went down and some st- stressful things. There was, We were living in Texas back then, and uh, 
uh, just a difficult time. And my wife lost, lost that baby in the sixth month of pregnancy. Oh, wow. And through that brokenness, um, and the oil crash hit in Texas and, you know, the guy that was helping us had some major problems that he was navigating. And Mm -hmm. we moved back to San Antonio where my wife uh, had grown up and lived in, in a house that she grew up in. I was in between record deals. I had stepped away from Zondervan and it was before I signed with the, uh, with home sweet home with Chris Christians and did that record. Right. And I had concerts I was doing and was doing some, you know, some, you know, guitar playing for people and whatnot. But I went to work for my wife's father to help, you know, put food on the table and they let right. us live in this house that they no longer lived in. But so I, I drove a water truck. He was a, a, a large construction, uh, like earth movers and all of that. Okay. And I was low man on the totem pole, man, driving a water truck or driving a, a, you know, a steamroller. Yeah. And then, then I would go, go sing at a church on a weekend. And, but God taught me a lot through that and brought some dear friendships that I had in college that lived there. And, uh, I did a lot of duck hunting and fishing and (laughs) just normal guy stuff. And as God healed our hearts, but I can remember after losing that child and going through all of this, as we would, as we would sing, uh, worship and services. And I, and I remember this, this is really great, but Don Moen had released the first, one of the first albums on integrity, Hosanna, okay. which was give thanks. Okay. And, and I, I know that my wife and I, we would stand in church and sing some of these songs and all we could really do was just weep. It was just like mm. the, the meaning of the lyrics of that. Um, and that's part of this first part of Psalm 40. When I say the Lord, heard my cry and he lived because we were, we were in a pit of depression. We were a pit of brokenness sure. and didn't know what was, you know, the future and God, what have you made me to do? I was having a, you know, a crisis in, yeah. uh, in 84, which I was just 25 years old, having a, a bit of a crisis in my life of like, what's next, what's going to happen. And, um, but that was really where the power of worship and what, you know, um, being lifted up out of that pit and, and, saying he established my footsteps and he set my foot upon a rock and uh, put a song of praise in my mouth. And so I felt like that was really when God began to birth a new song in my heart, Mm. Um, you know, was during through that, through those difficult, those difficult seasons. And then, then from there, we, you know, ended up moving on out to Tennessee and, you know, by 1990 is when I met. So that was 80, that was 84 and 85, 86 and seven. I toured with Dallas home for two years where Dallas, just really mentored me in so many ways Mm. um, with his rich legacy of, you know, and in college, in college, our little group would sing rise again. And now here I'm playing, playing it every night and singing with him. And yeah, I mean, and uh, he's still out there doing it and it's really incredible, but uh, yeah, he had a profound impact as did the Cruz family. Uh, Papa Cruz just passed away this last month. And, mm. and I just r- reminisced on the impact that he and his wife made and all the crews, you know, to this day, I still feel very much a part of that family that they poured into me. And Cindy was, yeah. you know, 14 at the time. Yeah. It's still yeah. amazing. Everyone with her voice, you know? Yeah. So all of those different people that God allowed me to be around, they all have had a profound impact uh, in mentoring me in some way about ministry and especially Dallas. Cause man, Dallas, it was all about, all about ministry. He would sing, but at the end, you know, he would, he would give a message an evangelistic message. And then just 
people, scores of people would come to faith every night. It was just yeah. incredible. So I've just been able to be around a lot of people that have influenced me in a powerful and profound way that have impacted my life and who I am today. And so now you're using these experiences that you've uh, been through as you've been mentored and you're starting to do this, not starting, I mean, you've been doing this yeah. with the different people that you're working with at your churches. So we left you, yeah. uh, I think we left you in Arizona. You've you've been at yeah, several other churches since then. Okay, New Mexico, yeah, right. Yeah, Albuquerque, And you've been at several other churches since then, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, after four incredible years in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, I get a call from Gene Apple. Uh, actually, I got a call from a well, Central Central Christian Church out in Las Vegas, Central Church. Uh, uh, I got a call. They were exploding. Gene Apple was the pastor at the time. Gene's now the senior pastor at Eastside Christian Church in Anaheim, a thriving, okay. amazing church. And uh, someone had read in Christian CCM magazine, whatever happened to Michael James? <laughs> and it was like, well, he's he left Nashville. He's now a worship pastor at Hoffmantown Church in Albuquerque. So I get a I get a an email like, hey, uh, we'd love for you to come lead worship at our new community service in Vegas. Okay. So I go out there on a Wednesday night and places packed. And Central was in this at that time. They were in this building in this neighborhood and had a gymnasium and were in multiple services. It had just exploded because Vegas was exploding in growth. Right. That time. And, uh, and then, so God kind of inter began to work through that with Gene. And I get a call from him one day and he goes, Hey man, I need a worship pastor. And so in uh, 2000, we accepted the call to Vegas and we were there for almost 13 years. And in that wow. time, uh, worked with Gene there for uh, four years. And then Judd, Judd Wilhite, Gene went to Willow Creek. Okay. Uh, uh, on staff up there. And then, uh, we called Judd Wilhite as our new senior pastor. And so I, I was, partnering there with Judd at, at, at Central. And between 2000 and the end of 2012, when we moved, that church had gone from four, about 4,000 to 25,000 in multiple sites. Oof. Yeah. And so there, but during that, that time period, I kind of began to move as I, as I got older. Um, and my father passed away in 2010, which was pretty traumatic losing him. I'm the oldest son. And he was okay. just such a, you know, profound, uh, I, I, you know, idle in the best sense of the word okay, to, yeah. to me, uh, but still pretty difficult. And, and, and I, you know, I turned 50. So I was in this season of transition and went right. through a life, a life plan process with one of my best friends, a guy named Lance Witt. Lance written some awesome books, including a book called replenish that I recommend for everybody to, uh, just about replenishing your soul and keeping your soul healthy. And in that life plan process, I came away with a life, a life purpose statement and a life mission statement. The purpose mm -hmm. statement is why I am on this earth. Mm -hmm. And that is to reflect the heart of God and to help others experience the heart of God. So that's kind of the part of the, the worship and, you know, what God does in the church setting, especially right. in a weekend. And then the mission, which your life mission can shift and change as, as your life changes. Yeah. And after losing my dad, uh, Dr. Patricia Mai in Vegas, who is still my counselor, um, gave me a book of my dad died called Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nowen. Okay. And she said, Michael, I believe that God is trying to show you that it's time for you to become the benevolent father in the picture mm -hmm. here and uh, to take that on. And so um, that became a very profound time. And so my, my mission statement began to be, uh, I exist to be 
uh, a father who pours into the personal, spiritual, and ministry lives of leaders. Mm. And so I, I lead worship now. Um, I play in the band often, you know, two or three times right. a month. I, I lead here and there. Um, I lead for our online prayer nights every every Wednesday. But many years back, actually, I moved from being the guy out front to putting the younger guys out front. And, and during yeah. that season, it, it Central saw that happen. And some young uh, young leaders, it came right out of high school, right onto the main platform there that God has, you know, continued to use profoundly. Sure. And uh, but that all came as a result of those different seasons of understanding. Uh, oh, this is this is what I'm to do now. And so uh, I was at Central there for uh, until almost right at the end of 2012, and then had an opportunity to go up to the New York City area and be a part of a church plant there that. Uh, one of the senior partners at Goldman Sachs planted about oh, wow. 10 years earlier uh, to reach basically his friends and neighbors who happened to be um, major C-level people on Wall Street. Sure. Yeah. And so here's this farm kid from Texas, <laughs> been a musician. I find myself, you know, setting in a church finance meeting as the executive pastor with Wall Street giants all around me. But Man, oh, wow. and, and we were there for four years. It was just uh, amazing the relationships we made, and uh, and and what I what I learned was the way my dad pastored those farmers and ranchers. It was the same thing there, just being a part of people's lives. Yep. And that was a beautiful time of helping that church um, kind of take a step to a new to a new day. And then uh, got a call almost for, about four years ago. Uh, got a call from Chip Ingram, who was senior pastor here at Venture Christian Church here in Los Gatos, which is a suburb of San Jose. Okay, we're we're all part of the Bay Area, the San Francisco. We're, we're we are the heart of Silicon Valley. Okay, you know Net, Netflix and uh, eBay and Google and all those are just all those big you know, yep. They're all right here. Facebook, they're all here with us. And uh, and so we moved up. Uh, well, October will be four years for us here. We moved here, and I, I came on here as executive pastor. Same kind of title and role I had yeah. at Central. Executive pastor of weekend experience. So I'm kind of over worship and branding and marketing and communications and film and uh, all kind of creative creative things. And so it was an honor to get to come with Chip. Of course, Chip's got a you know a global uh, radio program called living on the edge. And is you know, God's using him powerfully. So he was here. Uh, he was, he's still in our church, but, uh, he resigned as senior pastor because of all that was happening with living on the edge. Okay. And, uh, now, uh, Tim Lundy is our new, our new pastor. Tim will be here. He just two years now okay. he's been here. And so, uh, you know, I've got an incredible team. I've got my, the worship pastor that I hired here was a guy that I helped mentor his, his wife happens to be the daughter of the family. I talked about Leslie Glassford in Nashville, right. who, so that's how integral these stories are. That's just profound for me is that yeah. uh, they, they're on staff with me now, as well as a few other folks like that. And so uh, getting to be a part of so many different staff members throughout my years in ministry, it's just been a blessing to see how God has woven that together. Well, the thing that's, that just as you've been telling your story, just is all I'm always amazed at how God puts people in our paths and sometimes they come in and out and in and out of our stories and the importance of, you know, understanding that God really does have our back and he really does look out for us when we don't even realize we're being looked out for. (laughs) Oh, totally. Oh my gosh. The, the chance 
quote unquote meetings that we have with with people are are God divine appointments, and uh, for us to recognize those around us and not take them for granted and say, okay, let me pour into the people that God's putting into my life right now because you never know when you're that a divine appointment for somebody else, yeah, and where they're that divine appointment for you. So yeah, and I've and I've also learned it, and we've been through just some. We know truthfully, and we all go through these, but these seasons and these moments of of real despair and of, of brokenness again, and we find ourselves sometimes feeling like uh, we're in a desert situation. There, there's a song that uh, Bobby Price and I wrote that's on my shoulder to the wind album called In the Wilderness. And it is questioning God, God, where's where, where's my burning bush? Um, <laughs> right. You know, um, you know, and, and so the chorus is in the wilderness until the until uh, the things uh, in my life don't reflect your holiness, basically. Mm-hmm. I know one day I'll stand in the promised land, but for, but for now I'm here while I become your righteousness. So mm-hmm. the, the, the point being that all of these difficulties of losing a child, of kind of going through financial ruin at the same time, and yeah. uh, multiple difficult things we've walked through, you know, losing my dad and as traumatic as that was for me. And we've all been you know, losing both my wife's parents and through those 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 hurts and those brokenness seasons and through those seasons where we feel like we are in a desert and that sometimes God's not not hearing us. Yeah. The truth is that he's again, he's trying to help make all things work together for our good to teach. Right. And, uh, and and he's done that so many times over and over again to me. Of, I need you to learn this about yourself and who you are. It, a friend of mine always says this. Uh, I love this. I mean, it might it. God is, it says, God is way more concerned about what he does in me than what he does through me. Wow. And I, that, that has been a big statement to go. Yes. Because I tend to want to be always doing the work of the ministry. Yeah. And uh, I think part of that, my season of coming out of counseling I received after my dad's death was I've got to learn to be. Yes. Uh, And my life now is more about being the work of the ministry, especially in the lives of, of those I'm leading and mentoring now yeah. in this season of my life is being overdoing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've struggled with that with the Lord knows that, that I'm always like, God, I'm going to make you proud. I'm going to go do this for you. Yep. You know, this kind of performance oriented uh, yeah. faith. And, uh, he's just been trying to teach me. No, I just want you to be my child and just yeah. to rest in rest in the arms of your father. Yeah. It's not a mistake that we're called human beings and not human beings. Yes, that's good, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome, yes. Well, Michael, I know you know this, uh, but we uh, have a group of people that are committed to praying for musicians and and people who are using music. Um, uh, How can we be praying for you in these next months. Yeah, I, I think it's just just to pray that I will stay in tune to the Holy Spirit, pray for patience. Um, you know, I think as I get older, there's a sense of urgency that I want to see things happen quicker. When it comes to change in the church and where we need to be as a church to try to reach more people, we're, we're in the process of really trying to transition venture our church. You know, we're a church of about 5,000 people, but we, we are in the most unreached part of the world, or of the country rather, right now here in the Bay Area. In the, mm-hmm. it's, it's, which I thought coming from New York City, that was impossible, but it is. Like, <laughs> and and yeah. we have here what we call the un- uninterested. Uh-huh. So it's, it's not that we've got 
tons of atheists out there. We just have people who are just completely uninterested. They right. they, they don't see nor understand any need yeah. uh, for faith or church or anything. And it's it's so post-Christian here. So yeah. I think for me, I pray for, for God would give me patience um, and to be about being, overdoing, and uh, and that God would just you know use us, use my leadership in any way possible to help us get closer uh, to leading our church to be to truly being an outreach focused church that we could literally see, like I did in in Vegas. I, there I saw thousands mm-hmm. of people come to Christ, and right. I am I am I am hungry to see that happen here as well. I'd like to thank Michael James Murphy for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm grateful for the reminder that the relationships we are in today may very well be someone's divine appointment. Or, quite equally, they could be divine appointments for where God is going to lead us in the future. Well, thank you for listening today. Would you be willing to help me out by taking a couple of minutes to review this podcast? Your thoughts and insights really help other people decide that this is something they might like to listen to. Oh, and I'd love to connect with you as well, so feel free to drop me an email on my website, christianmusicarchive.com, or through one of my social media sites. You can send me a direct message on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Patreon by searching at CCMExchange. You'll probably notice that I don't have any advertising on this podcast, but that doesn't mean there are no costs in making it happen. As a result, this podcast is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. Head on over to patreon.com slash ccmexchange to learn how you can get involved and keep these podcasts going. In the meantime, for more information about Michael James Murphy and other artists like him, head on over to christianmusicarchive.com. And until next Wednesday, when I present you with my next conversation, remember that God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you.